Exodus 20, uh, even if you don't know what it is just by memory, like once we start reading it, you're going to realize like, oh yeah, this is familiar. Um, or at least m- many of you will. I don't want to throw out a blanket statement, but uh, this is one of the more familiar passages in the Bible, if not the most uh, familiar passage in the Bible. Um, if this is, once we get to it, uh, you, you'll, maybe you'll recognize uh, it'll be familiar to you. And uh, if it is, there's chances are like you have some visual concept or image of, of what's going on in these, these passages in your head. Um, and so it, it's the story of uh, Moses giving the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And my guess is that if you like close your eyes, you could come up with like, here's what this looks like in my mind. Way back in, uh, you know, thousands of years ago at Mount Sinai, you, you create this visual picture. And so maybe it's, uh, if you grew up in church, you have a church background and you are of a certain age, maybe it's flannel graph. You guys know what flannel graph is? Anybody remember those? Yeah. So maybe like when you think of Moses and the Ten Commandments, you have like this, you know, the flannel graph idea. Uh, or maybe fast forward a little bit and if you've got kids or you've, you've had kids in church, maybe you think of like the coloring pictures of uh, Moses uh, with the, the two tablets of stone, maybe that kind of comes to mind. Um, I'm gonna, I, I thought we would have a little fun this morning, and I'm going to show you what comes to mind whenever I think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and it may be familiar to you as, as well, but um, anyways, I'm going to let DJ, why don't you hit play, and we'll go on a little cinematic journey together. From the burning bush, O oh Lord, you charged me to bring the people to this holy mountain to behold your glory and receive your law. What have I left undone?
written with the finger of God. Go, get me down, for thy people have corrupted Check, check. There we go. All right. So that's what comes to mind when I think. Actually, two things came to mind when I watched that earlier this week. One, apparently God speaks immaculate King James English. And two, uh, CGI has come a long way in the last 50, 60 years. Okay. Uh, Anyways, so we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. But let me go ahead and read these. Exodus chapter 20. And this will kind of set us on course for the day, all right? Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And now when all the people saw The thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, like I said, this is uh, one of those passages that we are familiar with. But what you may or may not know is, is these Ten Commandments, kind of the beginning of God announcing His law to His people. It's, it's a small section of a much bigger portion of the law. All right, this is, we've got Ten Commandments here, but uh, the actual... God's law is, is over 600 different 
commands that he gives to his people over the course of the first five books of the Bible. Okay, and to kind of help you place that, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, like you went through that reading plan, it's usually in this section that you just kind of give up. I mean, let's be honest here, okay? We're in a church. This is a safe place. Right? It's, it's usually like somewhere after Exodus 20, between there and midway through Leviticus. You're like, ah, uh, I'm not, I don't know that I can do this. Right? Because you got, it just starts to kind of sound like a rule book after a while. Right? 600 different laws, commands that God gives to, uh, to his people. Right? And, and some of them, one of the things that makes it hard is some of those, if you've ever read through it, you're like, I don't know what to do with this law. How does this apply to me? Anybody ever read your Bible and you're like, I'm not sure what to do with that? For example, one of God's laws to his people was, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Now, I don't know what happens at your house. I don't know like what your compulsions are, what temptations you have. I'm just inclined to think that none of you were tempted with that this week, right? So, um, anyways, back to, back to Exodus 20. Um, we have God announcing his law, and he begins here with these Ten Commandments, all right? And so, here's what we, we could. We could preach an entire series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, maybe we will someday. I don't know. Uh, or I could stand up here this morning, and we could just kind of work through the Ten Commandments one by one. What do they all mean? Uh, you know, especially in our 21st century context. Uh, and that would be good and right. Um, maybe we should do that someday too. But what I want to do this morning, I'm just going to give you my goal right out of the gate, is I just want to try to take this, God's law, okay, this section of God's law, his, his moral law, we'll talk more about that in a minute, and just kind of take it and, and overlay it on us today, right, 21st century. Like, what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with the law? All right, that's my goal today. So here's, I'm going to give you three things. All right, I want to talk about what the law does, what the law can't do, and then we'll kind of close our time out together talking about what that means for you and me. All right, so before we dive into that, let me first make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, when, when we talk about uh, God's law, right, that's, that's a Big general term, but it means a lot of things. And so, um, I, as I talked about, there's right, 600, over 600 different commands, laws, rules uh, for God and his people. Okay, And um, those of those 600, you can take them and, and kind of break them down into like three sort of big subsections of the law. Okay, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. It's not just a lecture. Uh, there were ceremonial. Actually, let me back up. There were civil laws. Okay, so this was... Uh, laws that God gave his people about uh, their land, about debt, uh, about the legal penalties for, for breaking certain laws. Um, it, this was specifically given to the, the nation of Israel, like as a nation, uh, as they existed in relationship with God and surrounding nations. And so this was, uh, this is the civil law. Okay, just think like Israel city council meeting and you're in the ballpark. Okay, so you got civil laws and then there's ceremonial laws. All right, the ceremonial laws had to do with how the people of Israel uh, fulfilled their, their worship and, and things at the tabernacle and, and ultimately in the temple whenever that was built. It has to do with um, like guidelines for 
consecration and purity, like we talked about last week, uh, had to do with um, kind of the, the, the offering of sacrifices and what was an acceptable sacrifice and what was not an acceptable, acceptable sacrifice and uh, what the priests should do whenever it came time to offer sacrifices so that they were prepared and they prepared these sacrifices appropriately, right? So um, this is where some of those laws that like leave you scratching your head, like I don't know what to do with this, like that kind of fits in this section, ceremonial, specific to the people of Israel at that place at that time, okay? So generally speaking, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws uh, are, are no longer binding on Christians, okay? That's a, that's a nuanced discussion that we could dive into. We just don't have time to today, okay? But what I do want to direct your attention to is uh, the third kind of subsection of the law, and, and that's the moral law, right? God's moral law. In fact, that's what we're going to spend our time talking about this morning, right? God's moral law, and that's the, the unchanging, uh, unwavering, eternal standard that, that God has put in place for how men and women created in His image should relate with Him as their creator and with others right? as image bearers of God, right? So that's God's moral law. And it's, it's summarized the most clearly and concisely here in the Ten Commandments, right? The, the Ten Commandments are, are for uh, all people created in God's image, which is everyone, at all times. This is God's moral standard. It, it doesn't change. So when I talk about the law this morning, like that's what I'm talking about. God's unchanging, unwavering, standard for uh, his created people. All right, so let's do this. I want to talk a little bit about first what the law does, right? But I want to show you this. I want to go back to uh, verse 1, 1 and 2 of Exodus 20, because I think this is going to shape a lot of our, our conversation this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 1 and 2, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, catch this, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. All right, here's what I want you to see. Before God ever launches into, these are the rules, these are the commands, this is the standard, before God ever communicates that verbally uh, or, or, or announces that to his people, First, he establishes that there is a pre-existing relationship here. All right? He, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say that I am the Lord, a God. He doesn't say I am the Lord, the God. He says I am the Lord, your God. All right, so everything that, that he's about to say, all these commands, they're going to flow out of uh, a, a pre-existing relationship. All right? and, and that is massively important to understand. It's massively important because, let me give you an illustration. Uh, think about the, the rules and commands that, that you might receive from someone that, that you really have no relationship with. Right? You've got rules, guidelines you're supposed to follow. Let's say it's from a, uh, I don't know, maybe from an employer that you're just there to get a paycheck. Or maybe it's from a, a higher ranking um, official in the army or armed forces or right? someone that, that like gives you orders, but you don't have any sort of real like significant, meaningful relationship with that person. 
Right? Sometimes those rules and guidelines come across as just kind of cold, right? right? Just sort of a, uh, this is a, uh, a, a transactional thing. Do this, don't do this, and you'll get this. Or you won't get this. Right? It's, just a, it's just a cold sort of transaction. Right? Now, now take that and compare it to the rules that uh, if, if you're a parent, you give to your children. Right? The, the commands, the guidelines, the rules. Right? It's from a context. It's, it's, it's completely different. You've got cold, transactional. And over here, if you're a parent or if you think of your relationship with your parents, the rules, commands, guidelines that they gave you flow out of a relationship, which means like, they are f- for your good. Right? The rules exist for a purpose. They have your good, your joy, your benefit, your protection in mind. Right? That changes the way that we, we see rules and commands. Right? And so th- this is what's going on here. God says, hey, I'm your God, we have a relationship. I have saved you. I have delivered you. I have sustained you in the wilderness. Here are some guidelines for how to exist in relationship with me and with one another. And so it's not some sort of cold, just do this, don't do this. It's actually out of the context of a loving relationship. God's, God's relationship with his people precedes or comes before his rules for his people. Right? He, he, man, he chose Abraham, created a people for himself, he delivers them from slavery, he sustained them, and now he's going to give them these rules, these commands, his law right? for, for their good. But it's not so that they might earn a relationship with him, it's because they're already in a relationship with him. Right? Those are two very different things. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, so what, what I want you to see is the God's law, his, his good moral standard, is more than a rule book. Right? It, it's more than just a list of do this, don't do this, stay away from that. Right? It's, it's more than that. It's, it's God's good boundaries, limitations for his people at, so that they might properly relate to him and relate to one another. Right? And because, because it's God's moral standard, it's unwavering, it's unchanging, what was true for the Israelites, and that day is true for us today. Right? God's, God's law comes to us as good boundaries, good limits that, that are, flow out of a loving relationship. Right? We, they, they're meant primarily for God's glory, but they also uh, are meant for our good. In fact, I would contend that every loving relationship requires boundaries and limitations. For example, I have children. Um, I love my children. And because I love them, there are boundaries in place for them. Right? There's, there's a reason that, uh, like, so you guys sang happy birthday to me last week. I got... Somewhere between 12 to 15 pounds of gummy bears and worms uh, over the course of a few days given to me. Uh, when my kids wanted to eat those for supper, there's a reason why I said no. Right? There's a boundary there. This is not good for you. 
or your digestive tract, okay? Or there's a reason that, um, that we don't let them play Legos in the middle of the street, right? We've set up some boundaries for their good, right? This is how God's law comes to us. It's a, it's a good boundary for us. These limits are good for us. His, his guidelines are good for us, right? Despite, despite what culture wants you to believe, God is not a restrictive God. Right? He, he, he is not withholding something good from you. Instead, he's created this law, his, his boundaries, kind of like guardrails, right? so that we might live and breathe and move and, and enjoy life within these guardrails because what's on the other side of those guardrails is wreckage caused by sin and rebellion against God, sin and rebellion against one another. So God says, hey, I'm going to give you this law. It's a guardrails to, to keep you like to protect you, to keep you where you should be, right? to keep you in a place that's going to lead to uh, yes to my glory, but also to your good, right? to your benefit, to your joy, and to, to human flourishing as we exist in relationship with one another. Right? There, there's, a reason why, there's a reason why even um, governments and regimes that might reject God, might not believe in God, they still uh, see that, that this, good, this moral law is, is good. And they may not verbalize that, but like laws and governments, like they're built on some sort of moral standard because we recognize that, that we need limits to stay within if, if we're going to flourish as a people. All right, so that's what God's law does. It is, a, it is a good guideline, a good set of boundaries that guides and protects us as we engage right, the, the creator of the universe and also as we engage and interact with one another. Right, that's what God's law does. Actually, it does, it does more than that, but before we get to that, um, first we're going to talk a little bit about what the law can't do. All right, so we talked about what the law does. Right, it, it creates good, healthy boundaries, guidelines for us to exist in relationship with God and with one another, um, and, and talked about how that flows out of the context of a loving relationship between God and His creation, okay? Um, but to understand what God's law can't do, first we've got to go back to that relationship, right? Go back to the God who created us uh, to exist in relationship with Him, okay? And so let me, let me start with an illustration here. Let's pretend that you... That you don't, we, let's pretend we don't know each other, okay? And maybe if you're here and we, we don't know each other, I would love to get to know you after service. Uh, come say hey. But let's pretend we don't know each other at all. You don't know anything about me. And so we're in a conversation and you say, hey, do you have any children? Okay, and you're going to pretend that you don't know that I have four children. Okay, so you ask me, like, hey, do you have any children? Now, imagine if I responded with, you know, uh, I'm not sure yet. And you'd be like, what do you mean you're not sure yet? Like, well, so my wife did give birth to four infants. Uh, we, we brought all four of them home with us. They currently live in our house. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to call them my children because I'm waiting to see if they will measure up to this law 
uh, these rules that I've given them. Right? I'm going to give them some time. We'll see if they get there. If they're able to do all those things, yes, then I have four children. If they don't get there, then no, I do not have any children. You would be like, what is this dude smoking? Right? Like, you'd probably call CPS, as you should. Right? Because that sounds absurd, right? That I would make my kids live up to some sort of standard before I would call them my kids. Right? Like, that is absurd. But as ridiculous as an illustration of it is, is that not how God is so oftenly portrayed or understood? Like he is a, a father that just kind of stands off at the distance and looks at all of us and he's like, let me see if they get it together. And if they get it together, if they're able to obey and follow all these rules exactly, right? if they cross, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, well then... I'll welcome them into my family. And it sounds absurd when you put it in the context of, of our relationships with our children, but, but so many of us, because of what we've been taught, we've been trained, or because of what someone else has told us to believe, this is how we think of the God of the Bible. Right? That he's just put this standard out there, and the only way that he's going to love me, accept me, approve of me, relate to me, is if I meet all of these criteria. Right? Maybe, maybe that's how some of you in here view God. And, and like you just feel like he's sort of constantly disappointed with you. You know what I mean? Like you just sort of feel like you never quite measure up. Like he's a, he's a, a coach. We're in football season, right? He's a coach that just kind of stands off uh, and is constantly disappointed. You feel like you just got to like, Work to impress God, to earn a spot on the team, to keep your spot on the team. And, and I just want to free you from that this morning. That is an exhausting way to live. To think that, that your acceptance and approval, uh, to, to, to think that, that God's love for you is dependent on your ability to keep the law. Right? That is a... That is a just a, a burden that, that you're not meant to carry. Right? You, you don't earn your spot. You don't earn your way into God's family any more than my kids earned their way into my family. Right? You, you, don't, you don't keep a spot on the team by impressing God with your ability to keep all the law. Right? That's, actually, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You can't keep the law. Actually, if you've been doing this seriously for any time at all, maybe more than, like if you've been a follower of Jesus for more than like 12 minutes, you know you can't keep the law. And in fact, let's, let's do this. A little diagnostic test. You ready? I'll make it really efficient because I I'm, tend to be long-winded. Let's do this. Raise your hand if you have ever lied. Almost universal. I got, no, no, go keep them up. Let's pretend we're not Baptists for a second. Okay. So, all right. Now look around at the people whose hands aren't up. No, I'm just kidding. That shouldn't be. I was going to say, if your, hand's, if your hand's not up, you're lying now. So you might as well go ahead and get it up. Right. You can put your hands down. The point being like, all right, one of God's laws, hey, you shall not bear false witness, which is you should not lie. And here we are saying, like, we've all lied. 
We've all broken the law. We've all broken God's standard of, of moral perfection. Right? All of us have. And, and, and this is what I'm getting to. This is what one of the things that God's law does is it, it reveals how, how short we are of God's standard. Right? God's law reveals like how, how sinful and corrupt and broken we really are. It's, God's law is meant to be like an, an x-ray or, or an MRI for us, right? just revealing what's wrong inside of us. Right, so, um, a couple weeks ago, I went up to uh, Louisville. I've been having some, some neck pain. Um, Kelly said, hey, mathematically speaking, you can round your age up to 40 now, so... Maybe that just comes with the territory. Um, I'm kidding. She actually didn't say that at all. She's very kind. See, I just lied. I just lied in church. Um, she's not here. She is. She's just with the kids. Um, back on track. So I went up to Louisville um, last week to get an, an, uh, go see a spinal doctor, neck doctor. And uh, he, he takes me in the back and he starts taking images and x-rays. Uh, he pulls him up on the screen, and he starts, like, drawing lines and circling things. And uh, he's showing me, like, he's, like, asking me, like, yeah, you see this? You see this? And I'm just not doing that thing where I nod my head like I know what he's talking about. Even though he could have been showing me a map of, like, inner city Louisville, and I would not have known the difference, right? But he's showing me all this stuff, and he's like, yeah, that's not where it's supposed to be. That's out of line. This should be uh, turned a little differently, um, which is concerning. Um, but well, one of the things he said, I kid you not, he asked me, he's like, um, how recently, or have you been in a car wreck recently? Which is concerning, because I have not been in a car wreck in at least 15, 16 years. <laughs> right? But my point being that that, that x-ray, his sketches and drawing on it, like, revealed there were things, like, in my neck that are not where they're supposed to be. They're out of line. Uh, it, it revealed what was maybe not broken in me, but it at least revealed like where things were outside of the boundaries that the way that God designed my body to work, right? And so, like that's what the law does. We talk about the, the Ten Commandments as like the summary of God's perfect moral law for His people, right? The, the Ten Commandments they reveal to us uh, just how out of line we can be at times. Right? We're not going to do it this morning, but we could go through all Ten Commandments, and I guarantee you all of us could think back to moments where we're like, yep, broke that one, yep, broke that one, yep, broke that one. And maybe in the back of your mind right now, you're thinking like, nope, it says thou shalt not kill. I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus comes along afterwards, and he says like, hey, if you've ever been angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. So you broke that one too. Right? And that can drive you to despair if you're like, oh my goodness, I've broken God's moral law. And we should take it seriously, right? This is God's good, perfect standard for his people. Right? But, but really what the law serves to do is, is reveal the brokenness inside of us and to show us that uh, we need a Savior. Right? What I wanted to bring you back to, we, the second thing I wanted to talk about was what the law can't do. Here's what the law can't do. The law cannot save you. One, because you can't keep it. Right? But the law is meant to, to drive us, turn us to our need for a Savior. Right? Like I told you about the x-rays I got. 
They were good and they were helpful and they helped the doctor to do what he needed to do. I hope. I still got to go back this week. But you know what the x-rays couldn't do? They couldn't fix anything. It didn't matter how hard I stared at that x-ray, like my neck's not getting fixed just by looking at the x-ray. That's what the law is, the Ten Commandments. You're not going to become a Christian just by looking at those Ten Commandments and being like, I'm going to try really hard to do all of those perfectly. And if that's the way you choose to live, you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed and discouraged constantly because the law can't save you. The law reveals your need for a Savior. An x-ray reveals that you need a doctor. An MRI reveals that you need treatment. The law reveals that you need a, a Savior. If the law could save you, if you could just obey your way into heaven, then look at me. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus means nothing. That's the whole point of Jesus' life perfect life in your place. He fulfilled the law where you can't. He obeyed the law perfectly where you and I have not. And then he went to the cross to bear all the penalty that we deserve for breaking God's law. And he rose again from the grave proving that he was more powerful than sin, more powerful than death, more powerful than the... the, and And it's through faith in him That's what the law drives us to, is we need Jesus. We need his perfect righteousness. We need to be justified by him. We need his forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. The the law is meant to drive you to your your need for a Savior, and it's there that you meet the Savior who who lavishes us in grace and mercy. All right, so we've talked about what the law is. Does, we've talked about what the law can't do. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? And this is kind of where I want to land the plane a little bit this morning. Um, Here's the first thing. If you're here and you're not a Christian, like I don't don't have the ability to kind of look at you, you know, from the stage, and I don't know what kind of gifts you think pastors might have. I can't look and be like, they're a Christian. They're not a Christian. Like, I don't have that gift. So this is kind of between you and the Lord, right? But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I, I would just beg you to come to him as you are. Right? The Bible says, Romans 5, 8, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no, the invitation for you to come to Jesus is not just after you get areas X, Y, and Z in your life cleaned up. That's not the good news of Jesus. You you come to him as you are, and then then he takes it from there. So if you're you're here, I just want to free you up this morning. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and kind of your idea of of Christianity is, I've just got to obey more, I've got to be better, I've got to do the best that I can, and maybe, maybe that'll be enough to be saved, for God to love me, for God to accept me. I just want to say that's not, that's not Christianity. That's moralism with like a Christian sticker slapped onto it. Right? To think that you can uh, impress, impress God enough to, to get in his good graces. 
of the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel is like, there's nothing you can do to impress God. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And the good news is there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're here, you're not a Christian. And maybe what's been holding you back is just like, I don't know, my life's a wreck. I've got all this junk going on. Well, welcome to the club. Right? Get on in here. Right? Would, would love to tell you more about what that means for you. About what it means to, to lay your sin at the feet of Jesus and trust in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, want to pursue holiness. I'm not saying that we just continue in our sin. Right? That, that would be to totally misunderstand the point of grace. That would be to totally misunderstand the good news of Jesus. But what I am saying is we, we don't have to make ourselves perfect and presentable before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, I just plead with you if, you, if you'll come to him in faith and repentance and full surrender. And I say that because following Jesus does require you to surrender some things. If you'll come to him in faith and repentance and, and full surrender, like he'll take it from there. Right? He'll take it from there. Right, here's kind of the second group of people I want to talk to. Maybe you're here and you've, you have trusted in Jesus. Like you, you're like, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, but maybe even just kind of this high-level overview of, of the law, maybe you're like, even as we read through the, the Ten Commandments earlier, maybe you're like, oh man, if, if that's God's good uh, boundary for my life, I can see that, that this area of my life is outside of what God has for me. Or that area of my life does not fall within these good boundaries that God has created for me because He loves me. Right, maybe you're pursuing things outside of the guardrails that God has placed. Or, or maybe, you, maybe you are a Christian, but you can already say, like, yeah, I, I've already seen some of the wreckage that my own sin and rebellion causes when I live outside of these guardrails. Then what I would say to you is, if, if you're sensing that, right? If, you, if you're in this moment kind of seeing like, oh man, there's, there's places in my life that, that don't line up with God's good, perfect, unchanging moral standard, that's called conviction. And conviction is a good thing. It's like a, I feel like conviction sometimes, we treat it like a dirty word in church, like, oh, that person's convicted, you know? Conviction is a good thing. It is a gift from God that he uses to draw us back to himself. And so if maybe this morning, if you're feeling convicted over your sin, over areas of your life that are being pursued or falling outside of God's standard, then and the good news is that that conviction is from the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that's, that's calling you back into a relationship with him. And the invitation and the encouragement to you this morning is, is to repent. That word just means to turn from sin and to turn back to God. Right? Repentance is, is the invitation to you this morning. Okay, and then maybe you're, so that was kind of two groups of people. Here's a third. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, like you have a, you're, you're a Christian, you're saved, like you've got a, a growing relationship with God. Right, you're just in a good place this morning. Not, your relationship with God's not perfect, you know that. But, but, 
by God's grace, you look back and you see where you were and then you see where you are now and you're like, man, I have come a long way. All right, if that's you this morning, praise God for that. What I want to encourage you with before we leave is to, yes, continue in obedience. Continue uh, following God's law. But but my hope and encouragement to you is is to do that um, not because you're trying to impress or earn anything from God. Not even because you're trying to impress anybody else. But but grow and, and continue in obedience because our obedience to God's law always results in His glory. It always results in in the good of others. And it always results in your ever-increasing joy. And that's what I want for you more than anything. I think it's what the creator of the universe wants for you. All right? Would you pray for me this, pray with me this morning? Father, we do come to you this morning and I know that this today was just kind of a high-level overview of, of your law. Um, but I pray that even through that, Lord, that you might um, Lord, help us to understand better the, the purpose of your law as you gave it to the people of Israel to, to kind of be guardrails for their lives. But, um, Lord, that it's, it's not intended to earn a relationship with you. It's not intended to keep a relationship with you. Lord, our, our acceptance and approval before you, Lord, keep us mindful, or maybe for some in here for the first time this morning, help us to understand that our acceptance and our approval before you is not based on us. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, if there's some in here, this, this room this morning that have never trusted in Jesus. They've never surrendered their lives to Him. I, I, I pray that man, you would prompt them to do that. Um, Lord, maybe there's some that have in the back of their mind that they've got to get everything cleaned up, everything figured out, make themselves presentable before they, um, before they come to you. And, and while, yes, you are God who does require our holiness and, and consecration, it's Lord, we, we don't make ourselves acceptable before you. We don't make ourselves clean before you. That's what happens when we place our faith in Jesus. Help us to, to be mindful of that. Father, where you may have convicted this morning, or you've maybe by your Spirit revealed where there's places and spaces in our life that has fallen outside of your good uh, moral law, where we've pursued Uh, our own pleasure or our own desires outside of what you have for us. Father, I pray that you would bring a spirit of conviction that we might repent, that we might turn to you. Uh, And then, Father, help us uh, as we we go out from this place, from this moment. Lord, may we we grow in our obedience to you. May we grow in our... um, our following, our adherence to your good moral law, but not out of a, an attempt to earn anything from you, but as a response to the relationship that you 
have so graciously extended to us through Jesus. So Father, we love you. We pray you. Pray that we pray that your spirit would move in this place this morning. Prompt us to respond as you would have us to respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.